This is an RNZ podcast. Uh, more officers came out onto the Parliament forecourt as some of the protesters started to climb over the fence line. Uh, we just got lots of tennis balls thrown at us, a lot of people here targeting the media. Uh, the police now standing their ground uh, as people slowly disperse the protesters over. So this fence line does seem to be going down. That was RNZ reporter Jake McKee on RNZ's midday report last Tuesday in the firing line, along with other reporters at that protest rally at Parliament, which was, depending on which banner you read or which speaker you heard, anti-vaccination, anti-coercion, anti-lockdown, pro-freedom, pro-sovereignty, and even, for some, pro-Trump. And, as you heard there, it was also an occasion for some to vent at the media. And you said tennis balls being thrown at the media. How how many tennis balls? Why? What were they saying as they were throwing them? Uh, the classics that the media has been paid out by the government, that's a favourite line of theirs, uh, telling us that we are the virus, um, throwing uh, the tennis balls at us uh, and at the police um, from on the other side of the fence line, something they could do. We've also had water thrown at us today, uh, anything. But they're not a fan of us. Hey, Jake, stay safe out there. Later on, News Talk ZB's Jack Crossland saw the funny side of the tennis ball bombardment. I picked up the two that hit me, mm-hmm. and one guy said, excuse me, those are mine. Give them back. <laughs> what do they say? You've got them here. Well, I've got them here. Mine's uh, One's Agenda 2030. The other one is Poison Jab. But some reporters were struck, and some painfully, by those tennis balls. And when it was all over, RNZ's Jake McKee tweeted this. It's been a hard day so far. Sad seeing people I grew up with protesting. Sad seeing people so angry and full of misinformation. Not to mention tennis balls and water bombs. But some protesters were even happy to deploy fascist insignia and insults to make a point too, though it wasn't entirely obvious what that point was. But it was certainly, though, a spectacle. And a little earlier on TVNZ's Midday News, TVNZ's energised political editor Jessica Much Mackay also acknowledged that the media were a target too. The mood... I have to say is pretty electric, there's loud music playing, there's high energy and we'll keep you posted as things develop throughout the day. That electric atmosphere that Jessica Much Mackay mentioned there had moments of menace in it too, like the demonstrators trying to get over those barricades when RNZ's Jack McKee was live on air earlier, though there was also a bit of self-policing. Protesters later put the toppled fencing back in place, saving the actual police the bother. As News Hub at Six pointed out that night, it wasn't quite the January the 6th Capitol riots in Washington. As a group, they were louder than they were large. And boy, those anti-vaccination protesters were loud as thousands of them marched through the capital. It was one of the biggest police operations Parliament's seen. But just as things looked set to spin out of control, the protesters pulled it back. Soon after that, the Prime Minister told reporters the protesters did not represent the vast bulk of New Zealanders and her Associate Health Minister, Dr Isha Verrill, pointed out on social media many more people than those protesting at Parliament would turn up at vaccination centres around the country to get the jab on that same day. And that was a point TVNZ One News made at 6pm on Tuesday after its report on the protest. While a few thousand gathered to protest, many thousands more have been getting vaccinated. There were more than 21,000 doses of the vaccine administered yesterday, putting the country on the verge of the 90% milestone for first doses and just as close to the 80% with both jabs. And in her report that followed, political editor Jessica Much Mackay focused not just on the sound and the fury at the protest itself, but on the harder task of what fuelled it in the first place, misinformation 
and the amplification of it. Hayden Donnell took a look at how she did it and other aspects of that issue on Midweek Media Watch last Wednesday, where he also took a look at Discovery New Zealand's bold play for more viewers, announcing more channels, more news and more programmes, including one that might even mean a spruce up for Humbly. That's in our podcast feed if you missed it, or available for you on our page of the RNZ website or our section of the RNZ app. But while it is a tiny minority that's prepared to take to the streets to rail against our COVID response, jeopardise their jobs and compromise the health of themselves and others by resisting the jab, vaccine mandates are a legitimate news issue right now. That morning, Stuff's chief political correspondent Henry Cook pointed out that soon, adults who haven't got the vaccine won't be able to work in around 40% of jobs, fly on Air New Zealand internationally or go to large festivals or any event that insists on proof of vaccinations. And on RNZ's morning report the same day, Air New Zealand's chief executive Greg Foran confirmed the airline would fly unvaccinated people around the country if they got a negative test for this reason. We didn't want to leave anyone behind. Um, you know, we appreciate that there are some people uh, who will have their views around vaccination. And shortly after on Morning Report, there was this. A small King Country school expects all of its staff will be banned from the classrooms when the government's vaccine mandate takes effect next week. And the entire board of governors of that school is unvaxxed as well, it turned out. And Stuff reported that same morning that the government fears a vaccination mandate for police could lead to roughly 1,200 officers being pulled from the job. And that protest at Parliament wasn't the only one making breaking news on Tuesday. Even before a police officer was bitten by a protester at the northern Auckland road border, the Herald site had announced the traffic blockage with a bright red breaking news banner. But at the same time on RNZ National, the Māori Party's John Tamahiri told Morning Report not to get too excited. Is there an anti-vaxxer mob up there? Yeah, I noticed, I noticed about 10... Um you know, dial a mob uh, out there waving a few flags, but I, I didn't uh, see them. It's a pretty as, small uh, mob. Not, not everyone got the, got the message. All right. Yeah. And reporters on the spot later confirmed the protest was initially about 40 strong, but it dropped down to around 10 people by the time it was reported. So do the media risk amplifying such vivid displays of discontent and giving the impression that resistance and anti-vax sentiment is actually more widespread than it really is? In a minute, we'll ask a senior editor about that, and we'll also ask if the hostility towards the media is really something to worry about. Because it wasn't just tennis balls at Parliament on Tuesday. A stuffed photographer was grabbed and abused by marchers en route to the Parliament, and News Talk ZB's Jack Crossland reported this. I was taking photos of the motorbikers coming towards me. A man told me I should stay there and lie down which is kind of interesting. Yeah, there's definitely a little bit of anger towards the media and there's a few signs that say things about the media, but all in all, I can't say I feel unsafe in any way. It's just definitely a little bit tense and a little bit uncomfortable. Near the front of the march was a protest sign that said simply media treason, and if you looked a little closer, it was fringed with hand-drawn swastikas. When Stuff's chief political correspondent Henry Cook asked the man for an explanation, he told him to look in the mirror, though he wouldn't actually look into TVNZ's camera when confronted at that protest. Having their freedom and not being dictated to... Denise. But just the day before Tuesday's protests, News Talk ZB's political reporter Jason Walls reckoned rising aggression towards the media was no laughing matter. Over the weekend, he noted, a TVNZ camera operator was attacked by anti-vaxxers while filming a vaccination event in Greymouth. Do you want this camera? Hey, mate, 
Are we ever likely to see this on the air? I don't know. Hey, don't. Hey, piss off, mate. Don't start this. Reporters covering the so-called Hikoi of Truth demonstrations at Auckland's northern border recently have been abused and threatened, and last week a far-right conspiracy theorist with fake media credentials disrupted a press conference to heckle the Prime Minister, who then called a halt to it. And Māori Television's current affairs host Moana Maniopoto told journalist David Ferrier this week that she fears interviewing people for her show could turn them into targets for aggressive anti-vaxxers. This week, News Talk ZB's Jason Walls also warned that the media should now brace for more abuse from the 10% or so yet to get the jab, who he said seemed to be united by both their distrust of government and the mainstream media. RNZ's Head of News Richard Sutherland is also the Deputy Chair of the group that represents the mutual interests of our news media, the Media Freedom Committee. So does he see aggression towards journalists from COVID campaigners lately as just background noise, or is it now a real threat? The Media Freedom Committee and its constituent members, the, the mainstream media, which is a terrible term, I hate to use it, but but we are all of the view that there is an increasing level of aggression towards journalists from people opposed to either the vaccine rollout or the vaccine mandates or the COVID restrictions. Um, you know, what might have started a few months ago with perhaps um, journalists being verbally abused um, has escalated. Uh, and I know that on the face of it, um, being in, in the way of a few tennis balls lobbed at Parliament might not seem like uh, a major, but it's a further escalation. And what worries me and what worries the Media Freedom Committee is that you get an exponential um, escalation of this sort of thing. So what starts off as verbal abuse ends goodness knows where. And so, yes, we, we are concerned. I am concerned as someone who has to oversee a news operation that sends people out into the field every day, that one day someone is going to assault and, and attack and seriously injure, or God forbid worse, one of our staff. And so, um, you know, it, it's, it, it is really very, very worrying indeed. Well, there was a direct um, sort of assault of a kind which was filmed by a TVNZ crew just last weekend in Greymouth uh, outside a vaccination centre. They were uh, fairly hopped-up-looking um, anti-vax people there who had a crack at the cameraman. But, I mean, we've seen that before, haven't we, outside courtrooms and so on, when the atmospheres are tense. So is the Media Freedom Committee actually monitoring this? Are you collecting instances of threats to journalists? So, you know, if called upon to, to prove that it's getting worse, you could actually do so? Yeah, so, I mean, most responsible employers keep a register of uh, health and safety violations. And uh, in the media sense, you know, if you go out and you get attacked by someone on the job, uh, that's actually the sort of thing that you would include in a health and safety register. Um, and it's fair, it's fair to say that we are, um, as individual media organisations, keeping a very close eye and keeping a record of all these various um, incidents involving our reporters. And so I think what you'll find is that uh, in the very near future, the, the EMFC will get together and, and collate this and then go, well, what do we do with this information? Um, we can act individually as good employers, but um, on a wider sort of existential level, what are we doing as a society to make sure that we are um, respecting journalists and the work that they do? And that's where the information that we're collating as individuals will come into play and we'll be able to use that as evidence that there is, in fact, an increase uh, in these types of um, 
assaults, intrusions, hindering of journalists as they go about their lawful lawful business. Yeah, I went down there to take a look in Wellington at the Parliament, and as other commentators, observers, journalists have noted, pretty odd mix of people. Some just didn't like the mandate or the notion of coercion or medical intervention for various reasons. Others, there were some fairly menacing, intimidating-looking people there, you know, the motorcycles and, and all of that, uh, you know, that, that impression that, you know, don't get in our way, there's you know, something that, that could turn nasty. But there's not much journalists or their editors, their bosses can actually do about it, is there? Because every situation is going to be different. And is it a case of reporters having to weigh up, look, there might be threat here, this could turn nasty, I better get out of here? Is it that sort of response that they'd have to judge? That's exactly what we're all doing as um, employers, is making sure that the journalists are empowered to keep themselves safe at all times and remove themselves from any situation that they feel threatened in or to not go into a situation where they feel there could be a threat. And the, the while the onus is on the employer for the various media, news media organisations to make sure that their staff are safe, um, it's really important that the journalists going out on the story know that they can pull out without there being any consequences. They're not going to have a, um angry news editor on the phone saying, why didn't you get that story? Or you missed that deadline? Or this isn't good enough, get back in there. Now, maybe 20 or 30 years ago, that would have been the case. Uh, but but these days, the stakes are too high and staff safety is, is absolutely paramount. So uh, that, that that's the main thing, is that, that journalists and, um, you know, other media staff out in the field, they are the final line of defence against an incident in, in many ways because they are the ones there. They can decide, I need to get away from here. This is not a safe environment for me. I mean, look, look Colin... Journalists are very robust individuals and we all love the story and we love the thrill of the chase and most of the time you know we are prepared to go in their boots and all and do what we need to do to cover the story. But no story is worth um, being seriously injured or even worse. And so that's what's uppermost in the minds of the Media Freedom Committee um, members and we're very keen to make sure that that all our journalists know that 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 is where we're coming from. Yeah, among those writing about this, say Toby Manhire of the spin-off said, uh, look, this isn't something to ignore. You look at the echoes of uh, the sort of things that were being said, the sort of scenes in um, Washington back on the 6th of January, there are parallels there, albeit no one was arrested, no one was hurt in Wellington on Tuesday. But uh, Thomas Coughlin of the New Zealand Herald saying, look, actually, don't overestimate this. You know, he was saying, look, there are always cranks. They can be trouble. If you're advising a journalist, would you would you advise them to be mostly wary of individuals that look like they might want to, you know, they've been radicalised a bit by misinformation or strange beliefs, and they might be minded to have a pop at an individual reporter or is your worry really the mass thing, that it is a bit like Toby Manhole was talking about, that there could be the seeds of something which which does coalesce into a, a mass that is not friendly to the media? Look, I, I think reporters need to be aware of both situations. We had an incident a few months ago where a reporter was um, out at night just um, hoping to get some Vox Pops, some um, 
grabs from members of the public about something in relation to um, uh, some COVID announcement. And he just wandered up to um, an individual on the street and started saying, look, introducing himself and saying, look, I'm a reporter from RNZ. I'd like to get your opinion on X, Y, and Z. And this guy's first reaction was to just lunge at the reporter, interfere with his mic, attempt to pull down his mask. Uh, so, you know, that's a case of an individual going off without any warning or any provocation. And then you have the other instances where individuals like that, if they all coalesce together in a mob or a crowd or a demonstration, then that's a completely different kettle of fish, but but you've got all those individuals in the same place. So look, I, I think that journalists who are going out and talking to people or covering stories need to be aware that these things can come from anywhere. They can come from an individual that you're going up to um, they can come from a crowd of individuals or, you know, a group of individuals who are racking each other up and inciting each other up into um, targeting the media. And I think that there's been a steady ratcheting up of the uh, the narrative that somehow journalists are, in quote marks, the enemy of the people um, and that we are somehow part of some wide-ranging international conspiracy. Now, um that is the view of people whose critical reasoning faculties have really left them quite some time ago, if indeed they ever had them. Uh, so look, I guess the bottom line is that journalists need to be aware that um, anything can happen at any time and prepare accordingly. And is it in that sense worth um, actually in talking to groups such as, I don't know, the Freedom and Rights Coalition uh, and trying to talk to their leadership and saying, actually, you know, you need to make sure, put the responsibility on them, you need to make sure you understand why journalists are there and maybe communicate this when you organise your events. I mean, for example, on uh, next Sunday, there's the next groundswell uh, protest, rural protest. They're casting that as the mother of all protests. Um, one of their slogans here online is, have you had enough of your freedoms and rights being taken away from you, you know, so that echoes a little bit the language of Friday. We had a groundswell protest a couple of months back that was relatively peaceful, a little bit of hostility to media, but not much. But would you be looking at that and thinking, actually, you'd want the leaders of those protests to say, to remind their people, don't hassle the media when you're, um, you know, when you're taking part in these events? Look, I, I'm happy to talk to anyone, anytime, anywhere about media freedom and the importance of, of the media in a secular liberal democracy. Um, what I'm not about to get comfortable with is um, going cap in hand to organisers of an event and saying, please, can you tell your people not to attack the media? You shouldn't be attacking the media anyway, and the media shouldn't have to ask for people to tell their supporters to behave in a lawful manner. Now, I know it might seem trivial being um, bombarded with tennis balls while you're trying to cover a protest on the forecourt of Parliament, but put yourself in the position of of a reporter who's standing there in front of a, a sea of people, many of them accusing you personally of being uh, an enemy of the state, uh, a, a traitor, enemy of the people, and there's a baying mob there, and they're throwing things at you. Now, one of our reporters was struck in the head by a tennis ball. Now, um, you know, that could have caused serious injuries. Luckily, it didn't. But, you know, technically, that's assault. So I don't think that the, that the media should have to go and say to the organisers of these demonstrations, please tell the people that you are encouraging to come to these events to act in a lawful manner. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not here for that at all. 
Anyone with memories of primary school dodgeball will remember that a, a heftily <laughs> uh, lofted tennis ball can indeed be an unpleasant experience. Um, you exactly. don't want to rack up mob uh, either doing that. Um, just turning it around slightly, have you also, Richard, had any instances of interviewees, people the media want to talk to, being unwilling to and giving the reason, look, I don't want my face or my name out there because I don't want the retribution of um, people who are holding these beliefs? Not no specific cases that I personally am aware of, and I, I haven't come across it. That's not to say that it isn't happening. And I wouldn't blame uh, some people for not being willing to um, to put themselves out there. Uh, if you look at what some of the commentators, uh, particularly in the medical and science areas, some of the abuse that they have copped for um, for putting forward their views on various COVID-related matters, um, I would not blame anyone for not um, putting their head above the parapet. And, and that's another issue, actually, in many ways, um, hand in hand with the increase in physical uh, assaults and incidents targeting the media. There's a torrent, absolute torrent of abuse against journalists in the digital area. Um, the, the, the tweets directed at, at journalists, uh, the emails, the texts, um, it goes well by, beyond rational, reasonable, civilised debate and a contest of ideas. It's just nasty trolling. And we have certainly at Radio New Zealand noticed a big increase in the amount of that sort of abuse being directed at our at our staff. And, you know, I have to say, Colin, that uh, um, what we're seeing is the exporting of the polarisation that we watched from afar happen in the United States via social media. It is it is happening here. I don't want to sound alarmist because the vast majority of people do understand um, what the media's role is in a functioning secular liberal democracy. But there is a fringe element who are being weaponized in a way by social media and their views are being radicalised in a way that makes me quite uncomfortable about the future of um, civil discourse and public debate in this country. Well, speaking of taking it to extremes, we had the case of Shane Chafin, the guy up in, I think it was Kawakawa, who had faked credentials, uh, disrupted the press conference with the Prime Minister, who then called it to a halt and had to move in indoors. Um, you know, he apparently represents a, a Steve Bannon-backed media outlet called Counterspin, and I've seen online some of his uh, lengthy YouTube uh, contributions to debate, put it like that. Are you worried about people like almost pretending to be journalists or people from fringe outlets kind of trying to wedge themselves into, you know, press conferences like that, which are established for proper, professional, credentialed, acknowledged, accredited media. Yeah, look, I think um, you're always going to get instances like that. I, I have no problem with uh, a wide-ranging debate about a variety of issues, and I'm certainly not in the business of saying that we should be locking off um, uh, access to public officials by anyone in, in, the, in the media. Uh, and there will be people on all both ends of the political spectrum um, in, in, in the media um, who, you know, will want to challenge public officials about policies and that sort of thing. And I think 
by and large, that's a good thing. That's part of a healthy functioning democracy. Now, when they do that in a way that um, impedes on the ability of other members of the media to do their job, then that's a problem. And also, if it gets to the point where um, public officials decide that they're not going to venture out in the public or engage in um, open forums of discussion like news conferences and that sort of thing, then we as a country and as a society are the poorer for it. So... um, The short answer to your question is that I've got no problem with anyone setting up shop as a media organization and trying to tell stories for a particular audience, but they should not do it in such a way that it gets in the way of other members of the media from doing their job. And Richard, do you or other editors you've spoken to about this uh, have concerns about, because we've had some of this feedback here to Media Watch, people out there, readers, listeners saying, they feel sometimes the coverage actually amplifies uh, the impression of you know, resistance and, and opposition. As, as the politicians have pointed out, look, more people would have got vaccinated on that day than turned up to Parliament. And, uh, you know, there are a handful and, uh, you know, more people are, are now vaccinated than actually got to vote in, in general yep. elections. So is there a danger that you kind of amplify that, that notion of resistance and opposition? Yes, look, um, we are very careful at at RNZ News to apply a pretty high bar for coverage of these sorts of events. And the bar really is, is it at the level where it's causing significant disruption or um, newsworthy disruption to, um, to, 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 to the wider society? So what you don't find generally is um, credible news organizations giving much oxygen to two or three people, um, with delusions who have got cardboard signs standing on a street corner. Now, when it gets to the point, though, where you have several thousand people walking down Lambton Quay and targeting Parliament, then obviously you can't ignore that. You're not doing your job as a journalist if you ignore that. Um, So you have to report it, and you have to report why they're there, and then you have to leave it up to the audience to decide what they think of that. Now... Yeah, uh, what we don't want to do is get into the in, in the role of censoring people, and people have every right to go out and do whatever they want to do in terms of public uh, protest and freedom of expression and freedom of speech. Um, that doesn't mean to say that we are going to cover every instance of that. Yeah, there is another sort of school of thought here, which is that some of those people who took part, you know, might have looked at some of the people they were lining up with and actually finding they, they didn't think they have much common cause with them. Some of the more aggressive elements and some of the others that had these uh, sort of medical or personal beliefs, um, you know, and, and maybe that will take a bit of the sting out of it. Others have pointed out as the vaccination rates creep up, you know, maybe over 90 percent now, maybe towards 95 percent, you might find it's really getting down to a smaller and smaller kernel. And it might actually take the sting out of the sorts of things we're seeing. If so, would that change the way uh, the media kind of report these events or or the degree of threat or hostility you think you face? Look, I think that over time, hopefully, as everyone gets, um, or as more and more people get vaccinated, um, I would hope that this thing will subside. But I'm somewhat pessimistic in my worldview on on these things, Colin. And, you know, the the veneer of civilization is quite thin in some some people. So I, I wouldn't count on... Uh, a sudden uh, restoration of civility uh, and good behaviour. Um, I think that, um, as I said earlier, 
the the polarization that we're seeing in the United States and elsewhere, um, primarily fueled by social media, is coming to New Zealand. Is well, it's already here. It's just a question of how bad is it going to get. And and I wish I knew what the answer was to combating it. I I don't. And as journalists, all we can do is report in a fair way and in a balanced way what is going on in the country and um, as much as possible, you know, uh, while keeping our people safe. So not quite hanging like body armour and hard hats on the pegs next to the emergency bad weather raincoats and gumboots well, for the weather call-out? Well, no, it, uh, not quite, but um, it's interesting. Um, you know, all of us have been doing, uh, in the media, have been doing a bit of research on um, just making sure that our people are well-equipped in terms of how to um, act in these situations because the protests are getting uglier and we are seeing an uptick in people getting verbally abusive towards journalists. And so we've been looking at research and um, similar sort of guides for journalists that have been pulled together in other countries. And it's quite depressing when you read it. Uh, there was one put out by an American um, journalist association which basically said, here's what you do when you're being targeted by the police. Here's what to do when you have been arrested by the police. Here's what to do with your... Um, with your memory cards to make sure that they don't, um, you know, get um, destroyed by the by the police. So, um, and then you, you look at uh, some jurisdictions like Brazil. The um, Brazil Investigative Journalists Association has put out a uh, checklist for its members on how to deal with political demonstrations, and that's um, that just beggars belief. The sort of uh, thing that journalists over there have to go through to report. I mean, it is literally a matter of life and death in some instances. Uh, and, and thank goodness New Zealand is nowhere near that. But if you don't keep an eye on these sorts of things when they're just starting to grow, um, you know, who knows that in maybe 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now, we are issuing our journalists with hard hats and flak jackets as they go out to um, cover a routine demonstration because we just don't know what's going to happen. You know, you mentioned that you wanted to make sure that people understood the position of the media and respected it, and that's kind of the solution to these things. But one thing that's interesting is, is people claiming that the media has been bought by the government are there to do their bidding. We've even seen it in the past. People have been quite specific about this, referring to, for example, the $55 million sum of the government's public interest journalism fund. That's come up. I've heard it on talk radio. Um, is there anything that editors like you can do to challenge that perception that somehow uh, journalists are biased because money is coming to them from the government? Well, I was having a conversation with a colleague about this just the other day, and she said, well, where's my check? You know, I mean, there is this, um, I guess there's this outlandish theory that somehow the, gov uh, the government um, is heading up a conspiracy and that the media are part of this worldwide conspiracy to do X or Y or Z. Uh, really, the media is not that organised for a start. <laughs> to be honest, neither is government. But uh, as to the allegation that somehow because media organisations attract public money to do some of their reporting in some areas. Uh, it's just absolute nonsense. I've never worked, and I've worked extensively in commercial media as well as public media, and, and honestly, on a day-to-day -day basis, that sort of thing does not factor into our thinking at all. I mean, Radio New Zealand is completely funded by the taxpayer, um, and that does not in any way affect our reporting of the government uh, of the day. 
Um, you can ask any government of the day how they feel about some of the questions they get asked by Radio New Zealand journalists, um, and they will tell you that um, if they were paying us not to do that, they're not getting value for money because we certainly do not factor that into our thinking at all, and neither do, do the um, does the commercial media sector, who some of whom um, you know have had successful applications to the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Um, no way does any journalist worth his or her salt um, factor that into their operational editorial decision-making. It's uh, it's actually kind of insulting in a way. Um, but, it is, but it is a perception, Richard, that has taken root among some people. Like I say, I've heard it when Peter Williams was uh, suddenly decided to retire without warning from the Magic Talk Network. People were phoning up and saying, this will be because of that 55 million bucks. Is there something that either, if, if, not, if they're not going to listen to the media, on it, does someone, government, somebody have to say and, and actually make the point that, um, look, public money has been going into media in various forms to various organisations in substantial ways for a long time, and this does not change that picture? Look, I don't know that if you put that message out there, it's going to be heard by the people who will not choose to believe anything that comes from any sort of official source or any sort of uh, mainstream media source. Um, but certainly, you know, I mean, I'm happy to say to anyone any time that no, we are not paid for by the government to push a government line at all. Neither is the commercial media, but I don't, yeah, it's it's the conspiracy theory writ large that somehow we are in the back pocket of the government or lizard people from planet Zeno or wherever, you know, it just, it just doesn't work that way. Life is, um, life is too messy for everything to be so well ordered in a great worldwide global conspiracy. But of course, I would say that if I was part of the conspiracy, wouldn't I? That's RNZ's Head of News, Richard Sutherland, who's the Deputy Chair of the group representing the mutual interests of our news media, the Media Freedom Committee.